we've been doing. Let's get some review from you guys. So I've given you enough reviews over the past weeks that you guys should be able to give me some. So what are some of the big things that you have taken away so far from the Redeeming the Time series? And if you need a handout or a study sheet, go ahead and raise your hand and we can get them to you. Anybody not grab one? All right. We got one, two loners up here. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Okay. So with redeeming the time, what have been some of the things that really stood out to you? What have been some of the things that um, have really uh, maybe made you think differently about um, the different topics that we covered? Yeah. So like last week. <laughs> so last week when we were talking about like the fear of the Lord and how if you like have a proper fear of God then you're not going to care about what other people think like the yeah. world. So you're going to be so focused on bringing honor and glory to God that if it causes you to lose friendships or get made fun of by the world then you're not going to you're going to be okay with that. Yeah, for sure. And when it comes to the fear of the Lord, like what's the best way you can actually maintain and cultivate the fear of the Lord in your heart? Yeah, exactly. Spending time with them. Because that's one of the things I feel like in my own life, looking back when I was a teenager and even as I was a young adult and working through things and even up to up today, you know, there are things where if I am not in the Word of God, and I can be reading my Bible, but if I'm not letting the Bible really get into me, that's the difference. If I'm not really letting that happen, then I'm not letting uh, the Spirit of God to really cultivate some of those things in my heart and in my life. And then when it comes to decisions that I make or different things that I'm struggling with, it's so much easier to make the wrong decision. And so your time spent with God, the quality time spent with God, is so critical. It is so critical. And most people just, they, they don't look at it that way. They look at reading their Bible as just marking it off their Christian checklist and moving on with their day, expecting God to just bless their day because because they read in God's Word today. That's not how it works at all. So you need to make sure that you're spending good quality time with God in order to cultivate the fear of God. Because the Bible is clear. It's the fear of the Lord that makes us depart from iniquity. When you fear God, you won't want to do things that offend Him. You just won't. All right, what else from the past few weeks, past couple of months? What else we got? Yeah. Um, when you were talking about like becoming like a true worshiper of God, mm -hmm. like nothing can replace your walk with God, like none of like the, the good things that you yeah. do, like nothing like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's not about your outward actions. Um, it never has been. A lot of people get stuck in religious routines that it's not like, okay, I'm going to walk with God, therefore I'm going to go and I'm going to read my Bible and I'm going to evangelize and I'm going to get discipled and I'm going to... No, that's not, that's not what causes you to walk with God. It always comes back down to your heart. The first thing to drift away from God is your heart. Every time. When your heart is far from God, then you're not going to be in your Bible. You're not going to be praying. You're not going to take advantage of opportunities. And even if you force yourself to do it, and you force yourself to get into the Bible, or you force yourself to pray, or you force yourself to serve somewhere, and you, at some point it's going to come to an end because your heart's not in it. God wants your heart. He doesn't want your sacrifice. This is a theme throughout the Bible. God is not interested in sacrifice if your heart's not in it. So you can give up so many things. That's one of the things that I remember talking to my friends at school about, you know, Lent and things like that. They're giving up all this stuff for Lent, and it's like, why? You know, why would they do that? Because they believe in the religious observance of giving up something for God for a month that they are somehow going to draw closer to God. That's not how it works. It's never worked that way. That's how religion tells you you need to walk with God, but it never works that way. It all comes back down to your heart. 
What you do doesn't matter if your heart's not in it. And it's very important. And there's so many examples. Saul is one that pops out to me, just thinking about that, where he did things, but he didn't do it with a right heart attitude, and it was never accepted by God. All right, anything else? Yeah. Like way at the beginning when he talked about being divinely designed, mm-hmm. like how God put you in your situation for a specific reason, yes. even if you don't like it or think about it like that at the beginning, like he put you there for a reason to reach the people that are around you. Yeah, for sure. And that gives you unique experiences and even things that you can draw from in order to minister to other people that other people won't be able to. And we often look at those 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 um, maybe pitfalls or those uh, character flaws or those uh, bad experiences as reasons to not walk with God or to somehow be discontent with our life when God wants those same things that you don't like to be the things that will truly glorify Him. We just need to sit and think about it because God doesn't make mistakes at all. So he allows you to go through things sometimes. And even through my own faults, my own stupidity has caused me to do some, some dumb things in my life that now God wants me to use those shortcomings in my life to honor him and to try to help other people not fall into the same pits that I fell into. Got something, Brandon? Um, when you talked about like being based in the word in all circumstances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it is. The Bible tells you everything. I mean, it truly is the one thing that will tell you how to live your life godly if you just get into it. So uh, it's very, very important. All right, anybody anybody else before we move on? Okay. All right, cool. All right, so we're going to be talking about this whole section on um, redeeming the time. We're hitting decisions, and these are decisions that touch eternity. And, of course, last week we talked about um, the fact that when it comes to uh, having a proper fear of God and, and when it comes to authority in your life, and, uh, and if you don't have a proper understanding of authority uh, coming back down to your heart attitude, then you're really not going to make wise decisions in general. Um, and so if you don't have a proper perspective of authority in your life, then it is going to affect uh, the friends that you have, the people that you date, the things that you choose in your career because it comes back down to your heart attitude. So this week we're going to talk about friendships. And then next week we're going to dive into uh, the topic. It's going to be several weeks on dating um, and what the Bible says about dating and some different things to keep in mind. Uh, One of my favorite things to talk about, we usually hit it once a year or once every year and a half, and we haven't done that in a while, so I'm excited to dive into that next week. But before we get there, we got to talk about friendships. So let's hit this. All right, so. We are told in the scriptures to keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. This is so important. I find myself saying this verse over and over even to my own kids. And that's Proverbs 4.23. One way we must keep our heart diligently is with our friends. The people we choose, and I wanted to emphasize that, the people we choose to share our life with from day to day deeply impact many facets of our daily decisions, and this choice will positively and negatively affect our eternity. Proverbs 13.20, this is a verse that I can't, I can't talk about without hitting the whole friends section. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. So if you make a choice to walk with people that are wise, then you will find yourself gaining a lot of wisdom. But if you choose to go along with a companion of fools, then there's going to be some facet of destruction in your life. And that's straight out of the Proverbs. And even if we had time, I wish we could look at Proverbs 1, 10 through 33. You know, one of the things when you read through the book of Proverbs, especially starting off with chapter 1 and into chapter 2, it is written from the perspective of a father to his son. And so you can dive in and find out that everything that's being spoken there is from God to you directly. And straight out of chapter 1, he says, listen, don't go in the way of sinners. 
If they entice you and they want you to go that direction, don't go there. Don't even go near them. And so it's written from the perspective of a heart of a father towards his child. And so Proverbs is one of the probably best books, frankly, for your age range for you to dive into because there's so many things that you can really pull from that will save you from a lot of heartache and a lot of bad decisions. And right out of the gate from chapter one, he says, be careful who your friends are. So let's talk about what it means to be a friend. So, defining friend. Uh, this is out of Webster's 1828, um, and then we'll look at some examples in Scripture. So, uh, a friend. This is one who is attached to another by affection, that they desire to be around that individual. It is someone who's a companion, someone that you walk with and share your life with. It's one who entertains for another sentiments of esteem, respect, and affection, which lead him to desire his company and to seek to promote his happiness and prosperity. So, it's someone that you want to be around, and you're very hospitable towards because you want them to be in your life. You want to take care of them. It's someone that, that you uh, want to look out for their good. That's what a friend is. And so um, then it says after that, I've got opposed to a foe or an enemy. And that's obviously the antonym of friend um, is a foe or an enemy. So it's someone that you want in your life, someone that you desire to have as a part of your life. And when you really think about it from a logical perspective, uh, the people that you make the easiest friends with are who? People that are like you. What now? What, what now? Okay. People you're around with. Okay, people that you're around with. People that are like you. People that are like you. You have the similar interests, for sure. Although sometimes that can cause a lot of fighting. People that are opposite. Sometimes people that are opposite of you. Sometimes, but that can cause a lot of fighting as well. But people that you have things in common with. And it's very easy to become friends with people that you have similar interests where, you know, like let's say you're you're performing together and you're in choir together or you're on the basketball team together or you're, you know, on lacrosse together or whatever. You, you spend time with them and you have similar interests and so you can cultivate friendships. But then there are certain people on the team or in your group that you're closer to than others. Because even though you might be participating in the same things, there's things within their personality that you really like about that person, that you want them to be your friend or they make you laugh or you enjoy their company or you have things that are in common, you have things that are similar. And so when you think about it from a friendship perspective, if you are someone, like it says in the Bible, that he that walketh with the wise men shall be wise, um, you can tell a lot about a person by who they hang out with. I mean a lot. More than what they're even willing to admit to themselves. You can see the things that they value by the people that they want around them. I saw this all the time in high school. Um, there were only there were certain people that I could only go so far with in my friendship because their life, parts of their life, was not compatible with my values. There's a, there, I wanted to be a certain way. I wanted, I had certain values. There were certain things that I wanted to be obedient in, and so because that was the case, a lot of my friends that were more acquaintances than friends, they would never invite me to parties they, because they knew that I didn't drink, and they knew that me being around them, I was actually a conviction to them, and so I just wasn't ever invited to those things. We got along. I was able to sit with them and have lunch with them and stuff, but I was just never invited to those things. And there's part of me where I felt a little left out, but... At the end of the day, I mean, it's one of those things where we just didn't have things in common. I remember one of my friends growing up, one of my best friends, is my best friend starting in fourth grade all the way through. Uh, we spent a ton of time together. Uh, we hit my junior year and uh, going into our senior year, um, you know, he, we went to the same church and stuff, but even at church, like I would be a part of missions trips, I would do vacation Bible school, and he never wanted to. 
He never wanted to be part of that. He never wanted to uh, really grow in his walk with God. And I hated it because we played baseball together. Uh, we played basketball together. Uh, we played video games together. We spent the night at each other's houses. We did all this stuff together. But when it came to the spiritual side, I just started noticing that he did not want to pursue a relationship with God. And so at the end of our junior year, going into our senior year, he lost like 30, 40 pounds and he started exercising and stuff. And going into his senior year, um, he pretty much dropped me as his friend because now all the girls were paying attention to him. And he started getting invited to all the parties and he went. And he wanted nothing to do with me. And it hurt deep. And if I sit and think about it, I'm still hurt to this day about it. So he stopped being my friend because now his values are different. We didn't walk on the same course. So you really need to be careful about who your friends are. And that really is a choice that's completely up to you. You can choose whatever friends that you want. And you can really tell a lot about a person based on their crowd of friends. So when you look up the term friend or friends in the Bible, there's an interesting study. You find uh, the God in Abraham. Uh, Abraham is called the friend of God in those passages. David in Hushai. Uh, this is a very interesting study if you want to look at those, those passages later. But David in Hushai, uh, he, David was on the run because his own son betrayed him and took over the kingdom. And uh, Hushai is specifically called the friend of David. And he was a counselor. He was someone that gave counsel to David as a king. And when David was on the run and Absalom took over the kingdom, uh, Hushai actually went and found David and then went back into Jerusalem to be the counselor to, um, to David's son. And as a result of his counsel, God started to turn and really give David favor again where he could go back and take over the kingdom again. But it's interesting. It's an interesting study with David and Hushai. And then, of course, you have Job and his three friends, and you find out that his three friends were just the worst, because Job was going through like the worst possible thing imaginable, and they come in, and it says very specifically in chapter 2, verse 11, that they wanted to come and comfort him. And in the process of comforting him, as you read through, he's like, you guys are horrible comforters. I mean, you're telling me all this stuff of what I did wrong, and they were just terrible friends. And But all throughout Job, it talks about his three friends, and how in the end, Job still looked out for his friends even though they, they did him wrong. The next one is Jesus and Israel. Jesus and Israel. Now this one's interesting, and I would also put this in the same category as Jesus and Judas Iscariot, because Jesus called Judas his friend when he betrayed him in the garden. You remember that? Well, it's the same thing with here. In Zechariah 13.6, it talks about Jesus was, um, um, oh gosh, I forget the phrase that it says there, but it says that he was wounded in the house of his friends. That's what, it's, that's what it says there, that he was wounded in the house of his friends. So even though Israel was partly responsible for his crucifixion, even though Rome crucified him, the Jews were also responsible as well. Pastor Tom talked about that this past Sunday. And so here, Israel is Jesus' friend, and yet he was wounded in the house of his friends. It's interesting interesting to look at that from Jesus' perspective. And of course, we know what the New Testament talks about with born-again believers, that we are called to, to be friends and to care for each other and to look out for one another and have all these things in common because we have the same Lord. We're in the same family. So we should be friends. Now, we all vary in personality. And there's many of you that may not get along with somebody else in this room, naturally. But I will say the one thing that we all have in common is the most important thing, and that is Jesus Christ. And because of that, we all can be friends. Now, some might be a little bit more difficult. It might, and that's fine. Because I have learned that the people that I have had the hardest time with in church are the people that I actually need in my life. Because they see things from a different perspective than I do. And I have learned a ton, a ton from people that are wired completely different than I am. 
For a while, I thought, man, I don't want them in my life because they just think so differently. But now that I've grown up, I've seen there's actually wisdom in having those people in my life. They teach me a lot of things. So you would do well to have people in your life that irritate you. <laughs> As some of you look around to each other. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it would do you well. You'd get a lot of wisdom. You really would if you would just pay attention. Because the things that drive you nuts about that person, I bet you there's things about him or her that may drive you nuts, but there are things that you stink at and that you struggle with in your life and that you can observe in their life and learn from and become very balanced in. It's very interesting. So we're, we're talking about, it talks about for born-again believers that we're supposed to be good friends, that we're supposed to esteem each other better than ourselves, and that uh, the world will know uh, that we follow the Lord because of how we love one another in John 13, it says that. But I want to spend a little bit of extra time talking about Moses, because the best example of friendship that we find in the Bible is Moses. Moses. And it's very interesting with him because he's called God's friend in a way that no one else really is outside of Jesus Christ. And so I want to talk a little bit about God and Moses. So when it comes to God and Moses, let's go ahead and turn to um, Exodus. Go to Exodus 33. Exodus 33. We're going to spend some time in Exodus. And I might have a few of you read some other verses, but I want you to, I want you to see this. All right, Exodus 33. Oh, 33? Yeah, 33. Not three. No. No. 3 plus 30. What? Whoa. I know. I know. <laughs> it gives me a lot of confidence about our future since you're one of our graduating seniors. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, just don't quit on God. All right, all right, Exodus 33, take a look at verse 7. Okay, so here we're going to see that they knew each other, Moses and God, they knew each other and they spoke face to face. Exodus 33, verse 7. And Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp, afar off from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. And it came to pass that everyone which sought the Lord went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation, which was without the camp. And it came to pass when Moses went out unto the tabernacle that all the people rose up and stood every man at his tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose up and worshipped every man at his tent door. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. Now, what's interesting about this, and even later on in the same chapter, which we'll get to this in a minute, there really is no one else that is called the friend of God that spoke with the Lord face to face. Like this was something that was completely unheard of. And here's the reason why. Take a look down at verse 20. So he's talking to God and he wants to see, he wants to see the glory of God. And look what God says in verse 20. And he said, this is what God said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. See, throughout the Old Testament, Jesus would show up at various intervals. 
You've got the parents of Samson is one of them. Um, you've got, uh, you know, Joshua comes face to face with Jesus. You have, um, gosh, Jacob's another one. Um, and it's all throughout. And even into the New Testament, you have John that sees the glorified Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 1. Every person that saw God face to face, do you know what they did? They fell straight to the earth on their face. Now, there's part of me, the way that it's worded, they may have died, like Timmy was just talking about. They may have died, and the only reason why they didn't is because God rose them from the dead because they saw him face to face. But Isaiah is the same one. When he saw God sitting upon the throne, he was absolutely terrified, and he thought he was a dead man. He says, woe is me. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of an unclean people. And that's where God took an angel, a seraphim, um, is different from an angel, but took a seraphim and took one of the coals from off the altar, and it touched his lips and purged his sin. And so every person that saw God face to face, they, they were like a dead man. I mean, they were as good as dead. Because God says, no one can see my face and live. And yet the Lord, in verse 11, spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. And I want you to think about this as we go through these different qualities of God and Moses and what they shared together in their friendship. Because, because of what Christ has done for us, you can have the same relationship with God that Moses did. You can have the exact same the exact same relationship that Moses had with God, it is available to you. That you can talk to God face to face as a man would his friend. Now, you don't talk face to face with people that aren't your friends. We just don't. I mean, there's a lot of people that are, you know, a lot of people look up to different celebrities and look up to different personalities and different people that, that, are, that, are, that are far away. And they might even go to, you know, a book signing or, or they might go to a table after a concert and they might get a signature on a, on a CD or a shirt or whatever. They might do all those sorts of things, but you don't know them. I mean, you know them, but you don't know them. And they don't know you. But yet God is someone who you can know face to face and he wants to talk to you as a man would his friend. That's hugely significant. And at this point in time, no one did that with God. And so Moses was very, very unique in his friendship. Very unique. In fact, in Numbers 12, it says, With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches. And the similitude of the Lord shall he behold, which means the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So he's going to talk very clearly and plainly. He's not going to be beating around the bush. He's going to get right to the point. He's not going to be mysterious or anything like that. He's going to speak very, very clearly to Moses, face to face, mouth to mouth, as a man would his friend. And then this verse, like this one, Deuteronomy 34.10, And there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. And this is actually a prophecy and another passage that I have on your guys' study sheet of what was coming later because the only other person called that prophet, Moses says, there's a prophet that's coming, like unto me, him shall you hear. And he's talking about Jesus Christ. So outside of Moses having this relationship, that kind of relationship was never seen in the Old Testament until Jesus Christ came. The relationship that Christ had with his father. That's the next time it shows up. So let's see some of the things that they did together. So go to Exodus 24. They spent quality time together. They spent quality time together. Exodus 24. <clears throat> Alright, Exodus 24, and then take a look at verse 1. 
And he said, this is what God said unto Moses, Come up unto the Lord, thou and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship ye afar off. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord. But they shall not come nigh, neither shall the people go up with him. And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord, and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice, and said, All the words which the Lord hath said will we do. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, and rose up early in the morning, and built an altar under the hill, and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the children of Israel, which offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen unto the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of all of the, of the people. And they said, All that the Lord hath said will we do, and be obedient. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people, and said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. Then went up Moses and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel. They saw Jesus. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, and as it were, the body of heaven in its clearness. Now that paved work of sapphire stone, that would be the sea of glass that God actually stands on. So there was basically a portal opened on the top of Mount Sinai where they were able to look into the third heaven. And upon the nobles... Of the children of Israel, he laid not his hand. Also they saw God and did eat and drink. And the Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me into the mount and be there, and I will give thee tables of stone and a law and commandments which I have written that thou mayest teach them. And Moses rose up and his minister Joshua, and Moses went up into the mount of God and said unto the elders, Tarry ye here for us until we come again unto you. And behold, Aaron and Hur were with you, and if any have any matters to do, let him come unto them. And Moses went up into the mount, and a cloud covered the mount. And the glory of the Lord abode upon Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And the seventh day he called unto Moses out of the midst of the cloud. So, I mean, just picture this for a second. This is, this is amazing. So you have Mount Sinai, and if you were to read earlier to this, you'd find out the top of Mount Sinai was literally on fire. Like it was on fire, and there was a thick, dark cloud around the top of it. And even to this day, out in the Arabian Desert on Mount Sinai, they have found a top of a mountain that is absolutely scorched. It is scorched, and it's scorched not just at the top, but even down into the mountain. And that's where God descended, and his feet actually touched Mount Sinai. And so this is where Moses and these guys were at. And so you have this whole thing unfold where he gives them the law, and they say, yep, we're going to do it. And then he fellowships with them here, but then he calls Moses to come up. And Moses is up in this mountain, and he's in a cloud. He's in a cloud for six days. And then on the seventh day, he says, now come up to me. That's very interesting. Because when you think about it, that goes with the pattern that you see throughout Scripture. But there was a period of sanctification where Moses had to be set apart by himself. And can you imagine, six days. Like he's sending six days in the midst of a cloud. What's he going to do for six days? You know what I would be doing? I'd be praying. <laughs> I would be absolutely terrified. Nervous as all get out of what I just saw. And God and him thundering and then the earth quaking and people being afraid and they're wanting Moses to go and he's terrified. He's trying to lead all these people. And now God's saying, okay, I want you to come up to me alone and to spend six days in preparation to see God face to face. That's significant. Many of us don't even take six minutes in preparation before we open up our Bible. And yet Moses took six days to prepare his heart to meet God face to face. So on the seventh day, then he calls him up and it's just him and God alone. And by the way, he's not eating or drinking. God is supernaturally sustaining him. Verse 17. 
And the sight of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mount in the eyes of the children of Israel. And Moses went into the midst of the cloud and got him upon, up into the mount. And Moses was in the mount 40 days and 40 nights. The number of? Yes, which is the number of? Trial and testing. Testing. 40 in the Bible is always the number of testing. And so for 40 days and 40 nights, he doesn't eat or drink anything. God supernaturally sustains him, and he begins him begins to give him what would be coming down with the Ten Commandments, uh, and it's 40 days later. But he's with God for 40 days and 40 nights. I'm telling you, when you spend a week with somebody, I mean, you get to know a lot about them. But he spends 40 days and 40 nights with God. He would have come down completely different completely different, completely changed because of the quality time that he spent with God. And because of that, this next point, which I'm actually going to be hitting these next three in a row, Moses spake freely to God, very freely, to the point where you almost feel like when you read some of Moses' words that he's being kind of blasphemous to God. And then there's other parts we're going to read in Exodus 32 where God changed his mind because of Moses. God, the almighty God, the infinite God, the all-wise God changed his mind because of Moses' input. That's a friendship. He has a friendship with Moses like no one else has. We're going to see that in Exodus 32. And then Moses carried out the will of God. He did exactly what God told him to do, and he was very obedient. And he really had the heart of God in a lot of the matters that he was dealing with. So go over to Exodus 32. Exodus 32. All right, Exodus 32. Moses speaking freely with God. This is really interesting. All right, take a look at verse 7. All right, so it's at the end of the 40 days. And in verse 7 it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down, for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf, and have worshipped it, and have sacrificed thereunto, and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. God didn't miss anything. He knows exactly what's going on outside of the cloud, outside of the time that he's been spending with Moses. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. Alright, so God is ticked. I mean, he's really upset. Because it's not been that long of a time. It's only been 40 days. 40 days he's been with God up in the mountain. And during that time of testing, Israel is down there and they go completely awry. It doesn't take them very long to go completely off the rails. God knows exactly what's going on. And he's like, all right, Moses, you need to get down there. They're completely messing up. They're sinning. They're going quickly out of the way, which I gave them. And you know what? I'm so mad. Just stand aside. I'm going to wipe them out completely. I want to destroy them utterly, and I'm going to take from you, and I'm going to create a seed and a nation from you, because I want to start completely over. I'm done with them. I'm done with them. That's God's attitude. And rightly so, frankly, when you think about it. The moment that you and I sin, God deserves to just completely wipe us out because of His holiness. He can't even be in the presence of imperfection. And so that's a concept that is grounded biblically in truth that we need to make sure that we're applying to our lives to have a proper fear of God. 
Look what Moses says. Moses speaks very freely to God because, again, he's his friend. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy, thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saidest unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And then look at this. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. What if Moses wouldn't have said that? I mean, yeah, kaboom. Somebody said that. I mean, complete and total wipeout. But yet Moses, as a mediator, again, like Jesus Christ, stood in the gap between the sinful people and the almighty holy God. As a man, yeah. Does that mean God sinned? No. He thought about doing, even normally when you repent, you did something wrong. Well, that's what you're thinking. So repentance, when we think about it, is that you're a sinner and you're repenting. You're going to stop doing that sin. Repentance, in its purest definition, is a change of mind. You were thinking this way, and now you're thinking that way. So it's a complete change in behavior. For us, from a sinner's perspective, yes. We were sinning, and when we repent, we stop doing that sin, and now we're going to choose to do righteousness. But from God's perspective, since he doesn't sin, I am going to destroy them. Please, God, don't. This is not going to be a wise move. You promised. According to your word, you said that you were going to do this. And he's like, you know what? You're right. I'm not going to do it. But God had every right to do that. He could have wiped him out totally. If God did wipe him out, but didn't he go back on a promise that he made Abraham? He could have, but Moses was still alive. And Moses is part of the nation of Israel. So he could have created a nation out of Moses and still fulfilled all the promises that he gave unto Israel, Jacob, and Abraham. Good question. And this is where you look at this... Because of Moses and his friendship, he stopped the hand of God from unleashing wrath upon the people. Now this tells me something. What kind of relationship do you have with God? Do you have a relationship with God where you approach God thinking about others in the same fashion? For example... And we won't know this until we get to heaven one day and we see everything for what it is, you know, from the perspective of eternity. I, I know, I, know I, I get that. But don't ever under, underestimate the, the power and the efficacy of your prayers to God for people. Because did he not respond to Moses? And is this not kind of a prayer unto God? God, please don't. And God didn't. I mean you got to really think about this for a second. Because you and I, we have something that Moses never had. What do we have? The Bible. We have the Bible. The Spirit of the living God. We have the Spirit of the living God living inside of us if we're born again. Moses didn't have that. We do. And the same Spirit inside of us that Jesus had, where he cried, Abba, Father, is an intimacy that he had with God the Father, you and I are able to have. So in a way, if you really think about it from those terms, we can actually be closer and have a better relationship with God than what Moses had. And so if you don't think your prayers mean anything, you're dead wrong. You are absolutely wrong. And it just makes me think. It just makes me think. I think that's a good side note. I'll just leave it there. But just think about that because that's what happened with Moses. 
But he was so close with God that he spoke very, very freely. Very freely. Without hesitation. I mean, part of me, I'm like, I don't know if I would have done that. I mean, thinking about my personal relationship with God now, in that scenario, like, who am I to tell God no? Like, don't do that, God. Like, <laughs> I, I, it's just, it's weird to me. I, if, I'm like, all right, God, well, if that's what you want to do, then that's what you want to do. And I'll just stand back and let you roll. <laughs> but here Moses is like, no, God, if you do that, then you're going to, he was looking out for God. He loved God. God's reputation. He was thinking about the effect of what that was going to have on, on the people, but not just the nation of Israel, but about the Egyptians and the other enemies and all these other things. And he's like, no, God, don't do that. That, that wouldn't be good. And he was able to have that kind of a relationship with God. When was the last time you talked freely with God? Not disrespectfully, right heart attitude in the fear of God, like we talked about last week, but had an open conversation about things, entreating into topics and issues that belong to God only, but you are so close with God that you're able to have just a free conversation. I'm telling you, one of the best aspects of my relationship with God that I've ever been able to experience is when I go to God and I just lay it all out. And I'm just like, God, I'm just really struggling right now. I'm having a hard time. I'm having a bad attitude about this and about this and about this. And frankly, I'm irritated with this person and this circumstance. And I have no idea what to do. And I, and I know, I mean, and it helps me. A lot of people look at their prayer life and their relationship with God as some sort of a religious routine that doesn't really mean anything. They feel better about themselves after they pray or after they read, but it didn't mean anything. There was no relationship. Moses was the friend of God, and you can see that clearly in Exodus 32. And so we see that Moses, he spoke freely. God changed his mind. And then Moses also carried out the will of God. We won't carry that out and, and read it in Exodus 32. But Moses comes down off the mountain, and man, he lets him have it. I mean, he, he lays into him. He breaks the tables of stone, which I'm like, that's amazing to me. Because it literally says that the tables of stone with the Ten Commandments were written with the finger of God. There is nothing else in the scriptures that God literally wrote it with his finger. Because when you see it again, it actually says that Moses wrote the second set. He wrote the second tablet. He's the one that actually wrote it into the stone. This first set, God wrote with his finger. And that was the one that he came down with. And he was so mad, he took it and he threw it. I mean, he was mad. And he, he let him have it. He did. He let him have it. And rightly so. He was mad at him. Because God was mad at him. And God wanted to completely wipe them out. Wanted to completely wipe them out. But then look at his heart. And I love this. Because he went back up to God. Look at verse 30. It says, And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, Ye have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up unto the Lord. Peradventure I shall make an atonement for your sin. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin, have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. Moses' heart for the people, yeah, he was super mad at them. But his heart for the people was, God, please forgive them. And if you're not willing to forgive them, then take my life instead. Kill me for their sin. I'll take it. Let them live. That's an amazing guy. And that's why he's a type of Jesus Christ in the scriptures. Because there's a lot of people that wouldn't do anything like that. But Moses had the heart of God, and that's why he was willing to do that. And then as a result, too, you can see this in Exodus 34. Turn there real quick. Exodus 34. The people feared Moses because of his relationship with God. Exodus 34, and take a look at verse... Um, 29. 
And it came to pass when Moses came down from the Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hand, when he came down from the Mount, that Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with, with him. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone. And they were afraid to come nigh him. And Moses called unto them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned unto him. And Moses talked with them. And afterward, all the children of Israel came nigh, and he gave them in commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him in the Mount Sinai. In Mount Sinai, till Moses had done speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he took the veil off until he came out, and he came out and spake unto the children of Israel that which he was commanded. And the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, and Moses put the veil upon his face again until he went in to speak with him. There is a change in Moses' appearance when he spends time with God. And that's such a great devotional application. There's going to be a change in your life when you spend some good quality time in the presence of the Lord, you can't be the same. You can't be the same. There's absolutely no way. If you read your Bible and you leave from reading your Bible and you are the same, something's wrong. Something is seriously wrong. You cannot go into God's presence and come out the same. There's something that God's dealing with. Or you're not letting Him deal with you. And you're just treating it as another religious checklist item. So that's their relationship. Very unique. But again, you can have the same relationship. The exact same relationship that Moses had. And frankly, a little bit more intimate because you have the Spirit of the living God inside of you. And then this naturally leads into Jesus and His disciples. Go to John 15. John chapter 15. John 15, 12 through 15. So again, in Deuteronomy 18, he says that the Messiah is coming. He's going to be like unto Moses. Acts 3, Peter's preaching. He says the exact same thing about Jesus, that he was the fulfillment of what Moses said back in the law. And then Jesus says something very interesting here to his disciples in John 15. So I'm going to read 12 through 15. Who wants it? Okay, go ahead. This is my commandment, that ye love one another, as I have loved you. Greater love hath no, man that, um, hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, that ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servants knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Love these verses. So he's proving his friendship by laying down his life as a pattern that we're supposed to follow, that we're supposed to love each other as he has loved us. And then he says, Ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. And that really defines the friendship. And then I love verse 15. This is a very interesting verse. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. And that makes sense. A servant has no reason to know what his Lord does or why. He doesn't need to understand that. And then he says, But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. We have the ability to be close with God and to have such a deep, intimate friendship with God that we can go to Him and say, God, why are you doing this? And He's not bothered by that. Like, that doesn't bother God. Now, if you have a bad heart attitude about it, He'll deal with you about it. But God is very gracious and merciful. 
And he allows us to ask him things that no one else can ask him. I mean, this goes into, and this is another verse, I don't have it on your guys' notes, but I think it's in 1 Peter where it talks about that the angels long to look into these things. They don't understand why we can have this kind of relationship with God. Because I heard a guy, and I think I've shared this with you in the past, but I heard a guy um, in a message that I had heard, it was several months ago, maybe a couple years ago, but he was describing the prayer life that we can have with God and, and how, how crazy this is from the angel's perspective, that they don't even understand it. Because from God's perspective, when you enter into God's presence, and you can read it in Revelation 4 and 5, and you can see God's throne and all the things that are going on around it. And we've drawn the pictures up on the board. We have the throne of God up here, and surrounding the throne, you have the cherubim that cover God's throne. And it's literally covering the presence of God. And you have the seraphim in Isaiah. It talks about how uh, the God is high and lifted up, and these seraphim are saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And they are constantly saying it. The angels have an authority structure that they don't know all the things that God is doing. They know some things as far as, you know, when Gabriel was dispatched to carry a message to Daniel in the book of Daniel to tell them, tell him stuff, or to Mary to tell, talk about the Messiah being born. And they have all, but the angels don't know the things that we can know. And when you really think about it, when it talks about in Hebrews about how we can go before the presence of God at any point in time with anything, the boldness that we can have, that as we pray, that we literally are ushered into the very presence at God's throne, right past the angels, right past the cherubim, right to God's face, and they're like, what in the world is this? These are sinful human beings. I don't get this. We can't do stuff like that, but they can just go right in into God's presence with no big deal? Yeah. We can. We have that privilege. We have that honor because of the Spirit of God and what Christ has done for us. It's amazing. And so Jesus says, you're not my servants. You're my friends because I tell you what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. So you have the ability to have a deep, intimate relationship with God that is unlike anything else. And that's what it means to really be a friend, really be a friend. And so this example that Jesus gives is one of the best examples of what it really means to be a friend. All right, flip it over. I'm going to end it here. There's three things from the book of Proverbs. In light of this, in light of the type that we see through God and Moses, and that we see through Jesus and his disciples, these three things are true, true friends. We're going to divide up these Proverbs verses. All right, so somebody take Proverbs 17, 17. Okay, Timmy. 18, 24. You got that one, Emily. Um, let's see, Proverbs 17, 9. You got that one, Alana. 10, 12. You got that one. Gavin, go ahead and take 22.11. Uh, Proverbs 27.6. Okay? 27.9. Okay? You can take 27... What's the other one? 17. All right. So I want you to hear these ones because the book of Proverbs, again, gives great, great truth. And there's a bunch of other good verses that are here. But these are three things consistently from the book of Proverbs that when you look at this relationship between God and Moses and what it means to have a true friendship between Jesus and his disciples, then you can start to see these things out of the book of Proverbs in a little bit of a different light, and you'll be able to see what it really means to be a true friend. All right, so the first one. A true friend will love you and care for you unconditionally and sacrificially. Unconditionally and sacrificially. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loveth at all times. All times. All. I don't care what it is, what's going on, what the seasons are. Friends love at all times. Even when you're mad at them, you still love them. And you still care about them. 
And I'll tell you this, as we get down into these three things, having a true friend, it is very, very, very difficult to find a true friend. Very difficult. You might have a good friend for a moment, for a season, for a period of time, but a true friend that will stick with you through thick and thin, through everything, from the highs and lows of everything, every season, at all times, that's rare. That is super rare. There, now that I've, I've lived the years that I've lived, I look back, people that I thought were my friends were not my friends. And there's others that I, they were my friends and they genuinely are, but it's through the process of time and trials and very difficult times you find out who your friends are. A friend that loves at all times, at all times. Proverbs 18.24 a man that hath friends must show himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Okay, so it talks about a brother is born for adversity, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And there's even passages that talk about that it's better to have a friend that's near than a brother that's afar off. And so when you think about that, in order to have friends, what do you got to do? You got to be friendly. You can't be a jerk. And I know some people might even struggle with some social stuff, and I get that. Maybe you're socially awkward or whatever. And it might be more difficult to cultivate friendships. And I get that. I totally get that. But if you really want to have friends, you've got to show yourself friendly. You've got to be a friend. The best way, the best way to get a friend is by being one. And I'm telling you, here's the other side of it, and this is very difficult. Being a friend consistently over and over and over and over and over again to find the good friend is extremely tiring. It's exhausting. Because you're going to get sick of being a friend and no one's going to love you in return. But if you really want to find a friend that will last a lifetime, be a friend. Consistently. With people. And you will find some gems. But it's very difficult to find. Extremely difficult to find. Alright, secondly, true friends will not hold grudges or cause division. They won't. They're not going to hold any grudges. They're not going to save things to throw it back in your face later. And they're not going to cause division because your friendship with them is more important. Proverbs 17, 9. He that covereth the transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth the matter separateth very friends. Love that one. If you are willing to cover transgression, then you're seeking love. But if you repeat that matter over and over again, you can't have a friendship. There's no way. There's absolutely no way. I find myself with my kids all the time, they're very good at picking on each other. Which I know, you guys are siblings, you guys never do that with your siblings, ever. Yeah. Never, right? <laughs> never, never, never. Never! <laughs> I'm telling you, if you want a relationship, you can't keep harping on each other's shortcomings. You can't. You can't keep holding on to the negative stuff. You can't do that. Or you can't have a friendship. It is so easy. It is so much easier to, to pick on each other's negatives than the positives. It's just part of human nature. But if you want to have good friendships, you've got to learn how to be gracious and merciful. If you are not gracious and merciful, you're never going to have any friends. It's never going to work. You've got to be willing to cover transgressions. God did with you. Right? And he wants to have that kind of a relationship with you. He wants a friendship with you. If God can cover transgressions, so can you. Now, you may have to deal with it. You may have to talk it out. You may have to work through things in order to have the friendship. Totally understandable. I'm not saying overlook sin at all. I'm not saying that. But you deal with that, and then you move on. You can't be holding on to stuff. It's just not going to work. Proverbs 10, 12. Hatred serve up strifes, but love cover, covereth all sins. So if you have strife with a person, it's because hatred's involved. And where hatred and strife is, there's pride. It's all, every time, every time. Because there are times where, okay, I know you may want to be right in this scenario, but are you going to be right at the expense of having a friendship? 
You got to really think through that. You can't do that. Now, again, there are things that legitimately need to be dealt with in order to have a proper friendship, but you've got to be careful. Have some wisdom. Proverbs 22, 11. He that loveth pureness of heart, for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. Now, that one may sound a little bit weird. Read it one more time. Listen to it again. He that loveth pureness of heart, for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. Okay. The king is this guy's friend because he is pure in heart. Kings don't want people that are deceitful around them. They don't benefit the kingdom at all. The greatest asset to any king in his kingdom is to have someone who is pure in heart, that is going to be truthful and honest and is going to be just because that's something that will actually help the king. Someone who is conniving and deceitful and causes division, he doesn't want them around, and rightly so. So true friends will love you and care for you unconditionally and sacrificially. They are not going to hold grudges or cause any sort of division. And thirdly, they are going to faithfully tell you the truth in love. Now this one is a hard one, but they are someone who, if other people may lie to you or they might uh, flatter you, this person is going to just tell you the truth straight up because they love and they care about you. Proverbs 27.6 Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful. Faithful. Not in the moment. may not feel like it, but I'm telling you, the people that tell you the truth, that truly care about you, that are willing to pull you aside and say, hey, listen, I'm super concerned about what's going on in your life. Those are the people that are your real friends. Because a lot of people that flatter, they're not going to be honest with you. You want people in your life that are going to tell you the truth. Proverbs 27, verse 9. Ointment and perfume rejoice the heart, so doth the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. Okay. Someone that's willing to give you hearty counsel. It's like ointment. It's like perfume. It's something that you really do need because we stank. All right. Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Now, I love the way this is worded. It's worded differently in other translations. As iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Your countenance is the reflection of your heart. It really is. So a true friend is like iron that sharpens iron. Now, anyone take iron and put it together, what happens? Sparks. 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 Friction. Heat. Very difficult things. But it, it sharpens the countenance of, of his friend. It makes your countenance, because you're dealing with stuff. You're, you're not willing to just push things aside and, and you have all this baggage that you're just pushing aside and pretend like it doesn't exist. No, you're in each other's lives and you sharpen one another to the point where your countenance is made better because of that person in your life. Because you can actually have peace. People that are in your life to help you deal with issues and are willing to tell you things when no one else will, those are the ones where you can, that God uses to really deal with certain matters of your heart that no one else is willing to talk to you about, and it will make your countenance better. And so I like the way that's worded. It's really, really good. So your true friends, and if you are a true friend, you will be doing these three things. You will love and care for people unconditionally and sacrificially. You're not going to hold grudges or cause division. You're not going to cause division. You won't. And you're going to faithfully tell people the truth in love. And hopefully your true friends will do that to you as well. And again, super rare. But I'm telling you, it is one of the best things that you can possibly find in this world. And there's no greater picture that you can find outside of Moses and God and Jesus and his disciples. And those are our models that we're supposed to follow after. And that's the kind of relationship God wants to have with you. So I hope this was helpful. I really do. Um, because it's something that's very, very beneficial. Uh, I've heard it said in the past, and I do believe it, that um, the people that you're around and the books that you read are going to influence you more than anybody else. And not just the books you read, but it also goes into media and the things that you watch and what you listen to. 
the people that you have in your life, the people that you choose to have in your life, the people that you choose to let into the innermost parts of your life are some of the most influential people that you'll ever meet. And it will direct you one way or another. So you've got to be careful. And if you've been picking the wrong friends, then you need to stop. You need to pick the right friends. And you need to actually have those relationships that will help you and make you better. So God can be glorified properly. All right, somebody pray. Close this out. Go ahead, Timmy. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this day. And I just thank you for the ability to gather here in a building together and learn more about you, Lord. And I just pray that uh, everyone received something important from this message, Lord. And I know I did. Just having that personal relationship with you, Lord, and just deepening it just like Moses and you. I pray that all of us are able to achieve a deeper friendship after this and we grow together as a church group as well. And I just want to pray for everyone's safety as we head home after church tonight. And just thank you so much for everything you've done for us all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.